it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. So glad you can join me this July 14th, 2023. Or should I perhaps say happy Bastille Day? Uh, You know, I just have to observe that the French Revolution, which of course is what Bastille Day commemorates, celebrates in France, was encouraged by the American Revolution. For all the garbage that we're hearing from the radical left, people that want to dissolve America so that perhaps fascists can take control of our country or America's adversaries could run rampant and roughshod on the world um, and deprive people across the globe of freedom, uh, it's just astonishing to me. France and America became great allies. In fact, the French flag is known as the tricolor, the the tricolor, Uh, Ours is red, white, and blue. Theirs is blue, white, and red. The African nation of Liberia modeled itself after the United States seeking freedom. Uh, You know, it's like that song, uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? They put up a parking lot. Uh, The folks that are attacking America mercilessly should take a deep breath and ask themselves if you don't like what happens here, and we are always improving ourselves. That's why the founding fathers said, in order to, you know, in order to perfect a more perfect um, nation, the idea was that this is a work in progress. America is a work in progress. In order to to more make our country more perfect, if you will, we will continue to legislate, consider what needs to be done so that America can always be the best country possible. So the idea is we're going to look back in time to 1619 and say, that's it. People that lived here over 400 years ago destroyed America, and it can never be redeemed. I just want the folks out there who believe this garbage to go through a list of every other country on the planet and find the perfect nation that never did anything wrong. I want to see that list. Show me that list. We're living in a very perilous era, and many of the dangers that we face are self-inflicted by corrupt politicians. Please forgive the redundancy in the term corrupt or crooked politician. That is a redundant term. Campaign contributions are bribes. I'm not talking about $10 campaign contributions or $50 or $100, but there are billions of dollars pouring into the political parties from special interest groups, from people who want to manipulate America because they're motivated not by liberty, not by freedom, not by human rights, not by civil rights, but by unmitigated greed. More, 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 more is enough, enough. What is enough power, enough power? And, and you know, um, our lives are fleeting. We're only here but for a wink of an eye. Uh, one of my former colleagues at the INS just passed away. His funeral was earlier today. Um, and, and it just keeps hammering the point home that we live short lives. They should be meaningful. They should be lives that are aimed at creating happiness for ourselves as Steve Jobs, in fact, made an interesting point as he was dying, he said that parents should not be teaching their children how to be successful, but how to be, uh, how to be happy. And he made the point that if you're driving on a road, whether you're driving in a $30,000 car or a $300,000 car, the view of the road is the same. 
but you have some people who I guess are trying to fill a hole in their empty hearts and their empty souls by amassing as much money and power as possible and to what end? Leona Helmsley, many people born today wouldn't even know who in the world she is. She was that super wealthy real estate magnet and, and her organization owned the Empire State Building and others, you know, Helmsley Spears, those of us old enough to remember, famously remarked, little people pay taxes, I don't pay taxes. I remember one day being driven to work, not to work, but to, to a TV studio to do an interview, not really work, something that's a passion, and I don't get paid for those interviews. It's simply what I'm doing to give back to this country because I love America. If it wasn't for America, uh, my mother would not have survived the Holocaust. Her mom could not get out of Poland and died there. I was named for her. We were lucky that my mother was able to come here as a 13-year-old, and as a consequence, I was born. As a consequence, my children were born. As a consequence, their children were born. I owe America everything. Does it mean America's perfect? Absolutely not. Again, in order to form that more perfect union, that's what we're striving for. But to say, let's get rid of America, it enrages me on a scale that I can't begin to tell you, because without America the world would be a bleak place. Where's the 911 for the rest of the world? Whenever there's a problem, where's America? And then, of course, we get criticized. We need to wake up and smell the coffee or, or something. But it, it amazes me that, you know, Leona Helmsley, who could make those statements. I, I remember this, this guy who drove me in told me that he remembered he worked for Helmsley at one point as she came storming into the kitchen of a restaurant in one of her buildings. And she started screaming at everybody and said, I'm having a lousy day, so some of you are going to have a lousy day. And she randomly fired three, four, five, whatever people working in the kitchen. And they were devastated. They needed a job to support their families. And according to this driver, I don't know if it happened, but I was told this by a, a man who drove me. He was driving a limo, and, and he picked me up to bring me into one of the studios. And they said, why are you doing this? And she said, if I have a bad day, then I want everyone to have a bad day. Amazing. I doubt if she was having a good day that she made sure that other people were having a good day. And that's what we're seeing throughout the world, a level of greed that is unparalleled and that is perilous and it is doing untold damage. And it was interesting because the New York Times posted an article, I believe it was a week ago, about how now citizens of countries in Europe are waking up to the damage being done by unfettered immigration, destroying the wage structure for the middle class. They're saying, wait a minute, our middle class is under attack because we're bringing in an army of third world workers willing to settle for third world wages under third world conditions. And we're not talking illegal aliens, we're talking legal immigrants people who are coming in with work visas, people that are being granted authorization to remain permanently in these countries because corporations need cheap labor. You know, one of the things that companies do is something called cost out. They hire engineers right out of, out of engineering school, and they're told, you know, if we make light bulbs or refrigerators or cars, whatever it is, find a way to shave pennies or fractions of a penny off of each part because if we sell a million of these parts and we can save three cents on each part, think how much more money we'll have. Of course, the product they then turns out is crap. When I was a kid, I remember we had a dishwasher that lasted 25 years. Try to get a dishwasher to last 25 years today. Cost out. They're also doing it with human beings. Cost out. How can we get more labor out of people for less money and give them less. This is insane. There is a level of greed that worries me. It disturbs me. It's inhumane. Uh, but we're witnessing it across the board. Across the board. That's why America moved its manufacturing to China and look at the consequences. They could turn off our pharmaceuticals tomorrow morning. We were supposed to put an end to that insanity. We haven't. Because all that the leaders of these corporations care about is the bottom line so they can talk about their earnings statements. What they don't realize, however, is if more Americans made more money, they'd have more disposable income to buy more of the crap that they peddle. But that would take a little bit more sophisticated thinking than they're capable of. All they want to know is how much money can we save? How much money can we save? 
Never mind that we're destroying the middle class. And as we destroy the middle class, we push Americans to the left. Why? Because the Democrat Party is the party of the handout. That's why I wrote an article a while back in which I said that for the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. Americans are going to have to increasingly turn to government subsidies, which the Democrats are happy to give them. The Republicans won't, for the most part. So the Democrats know that they can get people hooked on the money they offer them, and people always vote their wallet. Full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat, but I didn't sign up for this Democrat party. These people are lunatics. They are fascists. They're totalitarians. There's nothing liberal about the Democrat Party. Liberals celebrate the First Amendment, the notion that every American has an absolute sacrosanct right to have his or her thoughts and to be able to speak freely about his or her own thoughts publicly without fear. Try that today. See what happens on college campuses. See how fast you get shut down, how fast you get canceled. There's nothing liberal about cancel culture, folks. So, and I keep making the point, but I hope that by repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, it'll sink in. Stop calling Democrats liberals. They're not. Stop calling them progressive. They're not. They're regressive. They want to go back to segregation, and they want to trample the First Amendment. There's nothing liberal about that, and there's nothing progressive about that. The word progressive, uh, when I was a kid, I always loved watching Disney. On, on Sunday nights, uh, and when they came to Tomorrowland, boy, that was a big deal. They were showing monorails and new cars and flying in space, and it really captured most kids' imagination because tomorrow was always going to be a better world. Tomorrow, right? Progress. GE used to say progress is our most important product. There's nothing progressive about the Democrats. They are regressive. They are anything but liberal. They're authoritarian, and they are fascists, and we need to call them out. And when we speak to our neighbors, let's have honest conversations and talk about what the Democrat Party is doing, how they are destroying relationships or trying to between children and their very own parents. I just read a very interesting article that our educational system, even before COVID, has been suffering because of a high rate of absenteeism by children, kids that are truants, not going to school. Well, who generally is responsible for making certain that a child goes to school in the morning when they go to public school to the parents? So look at what this administration has done. They've turned parents who attend school board meetings into suspected terrorists, and the FBI was out there trying to figure out which of those parents who dared speak up at a school board meeting should be investigated as a domestic terrorist. We ought to be encouraging parental involvement. I was the president of my daughter's public school, the PA, you know, the Parents Association of my daughter's public school. And I did everything in my power to get more and more of the parents involved in their children's education to help with homework and to get them to inspire their children to see greatness. That relationship between parent and child is critical. That's where the initial nurturing takes place. That's where the modeling takes place. You know, apples and trees. Um, how many times have I, as an agent, seen people involved with drugs, alcohol, and so forth because their parents or whoever it was that raised them were involved with alcohol and, and, and narcotics and so forth? That parent-child relationship is critical, and you've got the lunatic left trying to destroy it um, by offering kids Sex, puberty blockers and sex change hormones and you name it, and we won't tell your parents. Really? If a child misbehaves, who are they going to tell? Ghostbusters? Parents are supposed to be in, have an integral involvement in their children's discipline, education, and so forth, their health, all those concerns, especially their health. Americans need to wake up. Does anybody really believe that it's in anyone's best interests that the government sever the relationship between parents and children unless the children are in an abusive relationship? But increasingly, it seems as though the abusive relationship is at the hands of educators who are brainwashing kids and confusing them at a time when they are experiencing turmoil because as children mature, as they approach puberty with all the raging hormones, uh, they need some stability in their lives. 
and they're getting anything but that in a system that encourages kids to decide that they can identify as a different sex and we can go on and on and on. I, I tend to be libertarian. I believe that consenting adults should be able to do anything they want in private. I really don't care. Not my thing, perhaps, but if it's your thing and you're happy and no one's being hurt, wonderful. Good for you. But again, in private, but we're not talking about children. Children are supposed to be protected. They're supposed to be coddled, if you will, especially before puberty. Filling their heads with this insanity um, that we're now witnessing should tell you that there's nothing positive about what these idiots are trying to do to children today. The only thing that I'm positive is they're trying to destroy them. This is a mess. We hear all this talk about the need for gun control. Um, we don't hear about car control, even though nearly as many people die from car accidents as uh, because of firearms. When there's a bad car accident, however, you'll immediately hear if the driver was drunk. Why do we never hear about toxicology on people that commit shootings? I will tell you that I have a very strong hunch that if you did toxicology on people engaged in mass shootings, the majority, the great majority of them will have some kind of garbage flowing through their veins, perhaps some of the poisons that have been flowing across our border flowing through their veins, uh, impacting their mental stability and, and causing them to do the things they're doing. I remember when I was a youngster, so many of my friends' parents had firearms in their houses because they were World War II veterans. It was a normal thing. It was a normal thing. I lived uh, among neighbors who were war heroes. One of my neighbors was a tank commander at the Battle of the Bulge. Another of my neighbors, my friend's father, got the distinguished, I believe it was the distinguished flying medal or the flying cross multiple times for doing bombing runs over Germany during the Second World War. These guys were American heroes. We didn't hear anything about mass shootings back then. There were fewer guns and more mass shootings per capita when you realize gun control and so forth. Why is that? Well, we keep hearing mental illness. Okay. Do you think drugs are helpful? I doubt it. There have been studies done that say that especially adolescent boys, when they start using pot or other drugs, can wind up with serious mental health issues. And yet what are we seeing across the country? Legalization of pot. The New York dispensers for um, Narcan and crack pipes and telling people how they can use illegal, dangerous drugs safely. But we're concerned about violence. How many violent acts are the result of people that have mental health issues because they become hooked on narcotics? Nobody wants to talk about that. We have a wide open border that allows drugs to flow freely, not just through Mexico. And yet, you know what's remarkable? When was the last time you saw an effective ad campaign to try to get Americans to understand the dangers of the use of drugs or taking a pill that you think is a legitimate pharmaceutical from somebody who's a friend or a neighbor or God knows who, and it turns out that it's laced with fentanyl and they die? Why are there no commercials warning about those dangers the way they did with cigarettes? Very few people smoke cigarettes today. Those cigarette commercials are super effective. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I can barely watch them. My dad died of lung cancer in part because he smoked Chesterfield and in part because of his work in the construction industry and his exposure to asbestos both there and in the Navy shipyards where he worked during the Second World War. Those cigarette commercials were effective. Why are there no commercials warning about drugs? Ask yourself that question. Ask your politicians that question. Why aren't the politicians, the political parties, funding public service announcements warning about drugs, warning about how pills that may look like legitimate pharmaceuticals may be anything but? How many stories do we keep hearing about a parent who says, my daughter thought she was getting oxycodone and it turned out to be fentanyl? Why is anybody accepting any pill from anybody unless they're getting it from the pharmacist when they fill a prescription? Why aren't there commercials? I'll tell you why. Because there's too much money in drugs. Billions and billions of dollars flowing through Wall Street banking, real estate. This nation is awash in drug money and dead bodies. 
maybe the, the goal is to drum up business for the funeral industry because certainly the funeral industry is doing a, an incredible amount of business these days. And the tragedy is all too frequently it's young people dying needlessly because of drugs or violence related to drugs. Yet no commercials. Why is that? We need to ask those questions at town hall meetings, and I don't care if the politician is running for dog catcher or president. What are you doing to educate the American people, to convince them that this is suicide? They're doing bupkis. They don't care. They care about fundraising. They'll point to the Biden administration, as well they should and can with justification, and say, look at that. Okay, so now that you've criticized Biden, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to do to protect Americans from the scourge of drugs? Missing in action. Big speeches. Send me money. I'm running for office. And that's how you can tell when someone's a serious candidate by how much money they've amassed, how many bribes they've been granted, by whom. They ought to be wearing jackets like race cars with little stickers telling you who their sponsors are, campaign contributors, my backside. And all we keep hearing about from the politicians, left or right, but especially on the right, we're going to secure the southern border. We've been hearing this crap now since after 9-11. First, we're going to secure the southern border. Why only the southern border? Is it okay if illegals come across the northern border? Is it okay if they stow away on ships? Is it okay if they come through international airports, having been granted visas they shouldn't have been granted? Or coming under the visa waiver program, the gift that keeps on giving from good old Ronald Reagan, the visa waiver program that undermines national security. It's both parties. And please, stop pointing fingers at the parties. It's the politicians. These are the Republicrats. And all they care about is getting those campaign contributions so they can win elected office, so they can gain more power and more wealth at our expense. I forget which president it was, but back 100 years ago, perhaps, said, the business of America is business. I would definitely disagree. The business of America should be Americans' freedoms, Americans' safety, Americans' liberty. That's the business of America. Look out for the citizens of our country. That's what Lincoln meant when he said a country of the people, by the people, and for the people. He didn't pull out earnings statement to see which company was making more money because they outsourced or imported cheap foreign labor to exploit them. There's no compassion and exploitation, folks. But all we hear about is illegal immigration. Well, let me tell you something. Legal immigration creates as much of a problem as illegal immigration. I've made the point before. I'm going to make it again. In fact, I'm going to make it right now. If you look at a report, and I, and I frequently quote this report, it's the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. It was a monograph prepared by the 9-11 Commission federal agents and attorneys who were assigned to the commission. And the preface to that report, which focused on the ability of terrorists to move freely around the world and enter the United States, that was the whole point, terrorist travel, started out with this preface. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. I mean, what kind of imbeciles and nincompoops have been running these agencies that you can't figure it out that the first step in protecting your country against terrorists is to not let terrorists get into your country? What kind of deep thinking does this require? I mean, think about it. But nevertheless, that's what it said. And then it goes on and says this. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one. Are they talking about illegal immigration or legal immigration in that sentence? even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa. That is the legal immigration system, the one that no politician will dare talk about. They won't even whisper about it. They just keep saying, 
Watch the southern border. Watch the southern border. Is the southern border dangerous? Dangerous beyond words. Are terrorists coming across the southern border? Undoubtedly. And it's not just the people on the terror watch list. And we have no idea who the getaways were. But again, 19 hijackers carried out 9-11. And we now have, I don't know what the number is, 6, 7 million that have come in because of Biden who shouldn't be here. Playing the charade, oh, they're asylum seekers. You know, I started out talking about how my mom came here ahead of the Holocaust. Political asylum is a very sensitive issue for me. And I can never forget the Jewish refugees who were turned around on the boat called the St. Louis during the Holocaust, seeking to flee the Nazis, and our government turned them away. Turned them away. And when people are legitimate refugees, when their lives are legitimately in peril, and that's what asylum is about, in order to be eligible for political asylum, the alien must demonstrate a credible fear that because of their race, religion, ethnicity, political orientation, sexual orientation, or other such factors, they they face persecution by the government of their home country. That they live in poverty, not that the water is tainted, not that there are gangs roaming the streets. I just described how many U.S. cities, by the way, tainted water, gangs, poverty, etc., right? No. It's because of race, religion, ethnicity, tribal affiliation, other such factors, these people face persecution, which could include death. The people that are coming, for the most part, are economic refugees. And by the way, I don't feel bad. I, I do feel bad for them. And, and, you know, they're not the problem except for the numbers and the fact that among them are embedded some very dangerous people. This is a huge haystack with lots of deadly needles in it. But they're doing what you or I would do if we had the opportunity. If America continues to go south and you could go to another country and and earn five times the amount of money, um, you'd probably try to go there. And if they did nothing to stop you, why wouldn't you? They're acting in their own best interest. People tend to do that. They aren't the problem. They're the problem because they're here, and they're here because Biden has told them that come one, come all, we will let you all in. That's why right after he won the election, the line started forming up in Latin America. But we saw that happening even under Trump. The globalists have been doing everything in their power to flood America with the third world to take America down, to destroy the middle class. And if you really want to talk about the Democrat goals of being green and all this other nonsense, Every person in this country requires about 100 gallons of water per day, just to mention one item. If Biden has let in 7 million aliens who shouldn't be here, you know what that means? Every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, every single day, 700 million gallons of water are being consumed by people who should not be in the country. And we're being told that there's a drought out west. The power grid can't handle the load. And what do we do? Bring in millions of people who all will need electricity. Our schools are overwhelmed. The hospitals are overwhelmed. Infrastructure is overwhelmed. Everybody in our country has an environmental footprint. Everybody in our country has an economic footprint. So the fundamental question that no so-called journalist will ever ask a politician, and it should be the first question, Don't tell me what the immigrants want. How are the policies of this administration in the best interest of the average American citizen? Very simple question. When was the last time you heard any reporter stand up in the White House, stand up at City Hall, stand up at the governor's mansion, stand up wherever there's politicians and ask them, how are your policies in the best interest, average American citizen? Period. Full stop. You never hear that question. You never hear that question. That's the one question you're not allowed to ask. Because that would call into question whether ours is still a government of the people. Ours is actually very much a government of the people. The people with deep pockets and big fat checkbooks. It's certainly not the government of the average American. See? So that question really cuts to the chase. It's the art of the question. It's a fundamental question that every politician should be asked. How are your policies in the best interest of the average American? And I don't care what the policy is. 
economic policies, whatever it is. How is this in the best interest of the average American? Who benefits by your policies? Obama had these town hall meetings, or or, or whatever you want to call them, where they, they brought in people who supposedly were stakeholders on immigration, stakeholders. Really? There was nobody there representing the average American. And when the union folks from the Border Patrol and ICE uh, sought to attend, they were thrown out. This goes back to Obama. So who were the stakeholders? Oh, the immigration law firms. You have immigration lawyers on both sides of the aisle. Zoe Lofgren chairs the immigration subcommittee. She's an immigration lawyer. Bob Goodlatte used to be the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, immigration lawyer who made a fortune with H-1B visas. He was a big fan of the H-1B visa, of course. And he told me during an argument we had that his son would love to see thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian programmers come to America. And I said, what about Americans? Do they chop liver? That was the end of our conversation. How is this in the best interest of the average American? Not the average American company. The average American citizen. The companies no longer look at American school children as their future employees. They used to. That's why there were programs, if you remember, if you're old enough, like GE College Bowl. I actually went to the studio a couple times because General Electric looked at the kids in high school, looked at the kids in college, and said, you know what, in a couple of years we're going to be looking to recruit our future engineers and scientists and technicians and administrators from all of those high school and college students. So they were very concerned that those kids got the best possible education because if they were well-educated, then they could do a better job working for GE, GM, you name it. They don't want to hire American kids. Now they want to hire people from the third world. They want dumb Americans who buy the garbage they peddle and third world workers to do the work because they will work for one-third the wage with fewer benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And along with all of this, we wind up with threats to national security, which brings me to the um, press release from the Justice Department earlier today. And it said this, high-level member of ISIS sentenced to life in prison for material support to a foreign terrorist organization resulting in death. Wow. Wow. But they identified this piece of garbage as a former Brooklyn and Bronx resident convicted of being an ISIS fighter, weapons smuggler, propagandist, and recruiter. Really? Turns out that the terrorist in question uh, was born in Kosovo and legally, legally immigrated to the United States, was given a green card, put on the path to U.S. citizenship, which brings us back to the point that I keep making. It's not just illegal immigration, but legal immigration. This is the immigration two-step, okay? The first step for the terrorists is to enter the United States by hook or by crook, literally, going away on a ship, running the southern border, running the northern border, or entering with a visa, entering under an assumed identity. The very first time I testified before a congressional hearing, in fact, was back on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before the attacks of 9-11. Why was I called? Because they were exploring immigration fraud and visa fraud because of the 93 bombing at the World Trade Center and a month earlier the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani national by the name of Kansi. He killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, fled the country, was brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead or heal the wounds of those he had shot. So everybody knew immigration fraud was the issue. Immigration fraud means the legal immigration system. And yet you have Mayorkas, who when he was running Citizenship and Immigration Services for Obama, ordered his adjudicators to approve everything that landed on their desk. He said, I don't care what you have to do, but get to yes. Get to yes. And anybody who disagreed, they would try to fire them, they would demote them, and the list goes on. Meanwhile, immigration fraud was identified by the 9-11 Commission as the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. In point of fact, this is from, oh, I'm trying to see which page this is, page 46, I believe, of that report that I just cited, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. 
Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. Well, they don't have to find a way to remain here because Biden has made it clear they won't arrest or deport illegal aliens even when they commit crimes. I mean, you've got to do something spectacular if you really want to get deported. You know, like maybe kill 15 people or something. So they don't have to worry about that. And then you have sanctuary cities and sanctuary states providing driver's licenses to to illegal aliens whose identities can't be verified. That is what the term undocumented means. So we know that around the world, motor vehicles are the weapon of choice by terrorists, not airplanes, but cars and trucks. We've got all kinds of barriers when you go to major cities, whether it's Washington, D.C., or elsewhere. These big grates that pop out of the sidewalk that shred tires if a car tries to go down the street and they don't want them going down the street, and these big concrete structures that look like flower pots and so forth, they're there to protect against car bombs and truck bombs. Okay, that makes sense. But we have no idea who's driving the vehicles. None. The Real ID Act was passed because of 9-11. It still hasn't been implemented completely, more than 20 years after 9-11. Interior enforcement has never been addressed because interior enforcement is the solution to illegal immigration. If you had meaningful interior enforcement, you would be going after the crooked lawyers, the crooked employers, You'd be going after the human traffickers. You'd be going after the illegal aliens. And you could use the immigration laws effectively to go after transnational gangs, international terrorists, spies, and the drug cartels. How do I know? Well, I spent four years as the INS representative to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA back in the 80s. And my authority and expertise on immigration was essential to the investigations that were being conducted by DEA into the trafficking of narcotics and aliens into the United States. In fact, I was part of the anti-smuggling unit in New York back in the late 70s, early 80s, where we were breaking up smuggling rings here in New York City where they had safe houses from all over the world, not just from Latin America, but China and elsewhere. And then I was promoted to senior special agent that assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. Spent 10 years there. I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF. Why was I there? To use my authority as an immigration agent and my resources in terms of the files on aliens who are coming here to commit crime to be a force multiplier up at the drug task force. An illegal alien who's in possession of a firearm is looking at 10 years in jail. In possession of ammunition, same deal, provided that the ammunition or the firearm crossed the state or international border at some point since manufacture, interstate commerce. That's how the feds uh, get leverage. You know, if you're in a state and the gun was manufactured in the state, you can't charge him with that crime. Otherwise, you can. Ten years in jail. Reentry after deportation. And I worked with Senator Aldemano back in the 80s to enhance the penalty for criminal aliens. It's 20 years in jail. You don't have to prove the guy has drugs. You don't have to prove the guy shot anybody. The guy was deported. He's here. You got him. You can put that case together in, in two afternoons. I know I did a bunch of them. And frequently they would get from five to ten years in jail just for being here. And then while they're sitting in jail, you have all the time in the world to put together murder cases against them, drug cases. You name it, you've got a captive audience. Phenomenal piece of legislation. I was very proud to have played a part in it. And in fact, under the Trump administration, it was the most frequently prosecuted felony pursued by the Justice Department, period, full stop. Reentry after deportation. You don't need to do surveillance. You don't need to put up wiretaps. All you need is a copy of the executed warrant of deportation with the guy's fingerprint on it. You've got him here. You've got his fingerprint. You run his information through the computer database to make certain that he did not apply for or receive permission to return legally. Once you get that, you have all the elements of the crime. That's it. That's the whole package. You go to a grand jury, you indict him, and the guy gets free room and board. How amazing. Not under Biden. No. So immigration law enforcement is so critical, so critical. But let me go back to that statement because there's, there's more material in there that you need to consider. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence 
under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming that he picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program, but was rejected. Iyad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa, and after he dropped out, he remained in the United States out of status. So these two guys, the guy that rented the truck and the guy who drove the truck using the 93 bombing, were illegal aliens, and that was why they said we won't give illegal aliens driver's licenses. No more. You can get a driver's license. No problem. You're just undocumented. You're an asylum seeker. Right. Right. Calling these folks asylum seekers is like calling a homeless person who buys a lottery ticket an aspiring millionaire. It's a fantasy. And you notice political asylum is one of the ploys. So they've dumped millions of people into the political asylum program, overflowing that program that used to deal with a couple thousand people every year, meaning that an alien who applies for asylum is guaranteed to be able to remain in the United States for up to 10 years while they screw around with his petition. And during those 10 years, guess what? He's able to put together a terror plot. In fact, let me read to you another quote, again, from that report. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. That's DACA, folks, you know, Deferred Action Childhood Arrival. By the way, Mayorkas was the architect of DACA, or one of the architects, okay? Achieving temporary worker status or applying for asylum after entering. Here we go again. And we now have millions of people who have applied for asylum thanks to Joe Biden. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Today, it's years and years and years, okay? Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school, and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. How important is interior enforcement? Well, the report also says that abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. It will remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. So we've lost just about all of our expectations of privacy between computers, social media, but especially the government and the Patriot Act. We're under attack. The terrorists only got to get it right once. We got to get it right 100% of the time, so we're going to do whatever we have to do to keep you safe. Really? We have millions of aliens in the country. We have no idea who they are. Biden let in 75,000 Afghanis, 75,000 Afghanis when Afghanistan collapsed in 24 hours. And a couple of months ago, according to an article that was, um, I believe, the Daily Caller or maybe it was in the Washington Times, forgive me, I don't have my notes in front of me, the FBI was granted $15.3 million to track down these 75,000 Afghanis to find out who we actually let in, where they are, and what they might be up to. And it only took 19 hijackers to carry out 9-11. My gosh. My gosh. So that's the legal immigration system. In fact, last week I talked about how over 800,000 aliens were admitted into the United States and, and vanished. That system was never supposed to work properly anyway. Again, I'm speaking from personal experience. I was an immigration inspector for four years at Kennedy International Airport. My supervisors back in the 70s were more concerned with how quickly I could get a passenger through the process than whether or not I was screening for people who would probably come here to violate our laws. Think about that. And once they violate the law, this is a game of hide-and-seek, and there's nobody seeking. Why? There's no interior enforcement. The way that George W. Bush put together DHS, I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee back in 2005, when I testified at that hearing, talked about how the Bush administration, when it created DHS, 
violated the Homeland Security Act. That was the enabling legislation that created DHS. They were never supposed to cut immigration in half between customs and border protection, which is interior enforcement. They were never supposed to fold in other agencies. It wasn't supposed to be any ICE. It was supposed to be the Bureau of Border Security, and it would have included interior enforcement. Would have. In fact, Post Netler went on to say that what the Bush administration did was to give us immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure our borders, enforce the immigration laws, and protect the American people. Even after everybody knew that 9-11 was only possible because of what? Multiple failures of the immigration system. We have 6,000 ICE agents, and by the way it was put together by the Bush administration, they had so many other areas of responsibility, immigration wasn't even an afterthought. Kitty porn, money laundering, intellectual property theft, narcotics trafficking, and on and on and on. So out of the 6,000, under the best of circumstances, you might have 2,000 immigration agents doing the job. 2,000. New York City has, what, 36,000 cops? Years ago, there were 45,000 people at TSA, 20-odd thousand Border Patrol agents, but Interior Enforcement gets basically 2,000 agents. Why? Because that way, crooked lawyers and crooked employers have very little to fear. There's nobody there to do the job. Nobody. Illegal aliens had nothing to fear, so why not come here? The policies of administration after administration, and specifically I was concerned about how Bush created DHS. Then you looked at what Obama did, um, what he called prosecutorial discretion. I wrote an op-ed for the, for the uh, Fox News, and I, and I said what he called prosecutorial discretion should be called prosecutorial deception with DACA. That was a sham, and, and, and judges have ruled against it. DACA, thank you, Mr. Mayorkas, once again. And when I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee back in 2013, I said that the Obama administration policies had essentially fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world, and for them, the finish line is the border of the United States, because once they get past the border, they have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Now look at the way we're treating them. We're treating illegal aliens because we're calling them asylum seekers better than we treat U.S. veterans, better than we treat legal immigrants. Why? What's the message to the world? During one of my very first hearings, I made the point that you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. For most aliens, people from other countries who seek to enter the United States, the first set of laws they encounter are America's immigration laws. Right? So what have we now convinced the world? In America, violations of law are not simply tolerated. Oh, no, no, no. Violations of law will be richly rewarded in ways you can't begin to imagine. You have communities saying we should be giving scholarships to illegal aliens. You have, um, I think it's in California, they want to make DACA recipients police officers. Deferred action is not lawful status. Deferred action means you were supposed to leave the country, and at some point in the future you will. It doesn't mean you're here permanently. Deferred action used to be used, and again, I'm speaking from firsthand personal experience. If a family, let's say, came to the United States, they went to Disney World, and, and Grandpa had a heart attack, you're not going to force them to go home and leave Grandpa in the hospital in the ER. Their child gets hit by a car. Oh, you got to go home. Yeah, you take your kid with you. He's not safe to travel too bad. No, we didn't do that. We would say to them, look, you can stay in the United States, have the doctor every 30 days or whatever, write a, a letter keeping us up to speed about the medical situation for your family member who's either been sick or injured or whatever that story is. And in some cases, we even gave these people employment authorization because not too many people can stay uh, you know, in the United States without working. And we would do that out of a humanitarian concern. But it was done on a case-by-case basis, and agents would go out and interview the doctors to make certain that, in fact, the situation was still ongoing and that family still needed the benefit of deferred action. And I think it was an entirely proper thing to do. We are a humanitarian country, and you judge the civility of a country by the way they treat the weakest. So I have no problem with that. But to turn around and say, oh, if you claim you came in before you were 16, 
you can stay here. We'll take care of you. Really? By the way, under DACA, you could have been in your mid-30s. By now, God knows how old you could be. It's not about children. Everyone was told it's about the children. No, it's not. It was simply a backdoor way to create a temporary amnesty program that they hoped they could parley into a permanent amnesty. So you now have communities saying, oh, we'll take these people who are here temporarily and make them police officers, give them firearms. Well, we won't do that for American citizens. You're an American. You want a gun? Are you crazy? No, 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 no. If you're DACA, we'll give you a firearm. Absolutely. We're, we're here to help you. You're DACA. You're golden. Even though they didn't interview these people, didn't do any field investigations. It was like a 98 approval rate, 98% approval rate. But you have some municipalities say, oh, let's, let's give these guys badges and guns. They're not Americans, so they must be safe, right? This is insane. You look at Chinese espionage. That's not illegal immigration, folks. Those Chinese spies came to America as students, came to America as temporary workers so that they could commit espionage against us. That's part of the legal immigration system. So here's my question. When was the last time you heard anybody running for president who said, I'm going to address the lack of integrity of the entire immigration system? It is failing us abysmally. It is failing us. Many terrorists have entered the United States through ports of entry. The terror attack in San Bernardino, the Tsarnaev brothers who carried out the Boston bombing. We can go down the whole list. They came through ports of entry. That doesn't mean we're going to ignore the southern border or any border. Any method of entry into the United States is dangerous. If you were going to secure your house against burglars, you don't just say, well, my neighbor's bedroom window got kicked in, so we'll secure the bedroom window. No. You look at all the windows, you look at all the skylights, you look at all the doors, and you say, we're going to secure all of those ways that a burglar can gain access to my house. That's if you're intelligent and sensible. Basically, here they're saying, oh, we'll secure your back door and everything is fine. The entire immigration system needs to have integrity. The problem is the politicians don't have integrity. The lack of integrity of the immigration system is a direct reflection on the lack of integrity of the politicians that run this country, or should I say ruin this country. There's nothing anti-immigrant about enforcing immigration laws that are designed to protect public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of American workers. Go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. It categorizes all the aliens who are supposed to be kept out. Not a word about race, not a word about religion, not a word about ethnicity. It's about aliens with dangerous diseases, severe mental illness, criminals, terrorists, spies, human traffickers, drug smugglers, and so forth. Or aliens who, if they work, would displace Americans and drive down wages. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But they, they've done a great job of bamboozling Americans into believing lie after lie after lie, and we're paying a hell of a price. And in fact, if you read the press release, um, that I mentioned, by the way, the number that I, it was last week that I, I talked about it, 853,955 foreigners overstayed their visa decades after terrorists did it to execute 9-11. Just, just think about that. Just think about that. Is that not insanity? And if you look at the press release of this terrorist who was just sentenced to life without parole, they said it this way. See, they, they took off the page the fact that guy was an immigrant. You see, because it's about making you forget about it. Terrorists are only white supremacists. Terrorists are only parents who go to school board meetings, right? Okay. It starts this way. A New York man, New York man, was sentenced today to life in prison on one count of conspiracy to provide material support to the Islamic State of Iraq and al-Sham ISIS and five substantive counts of providing material support to ISIS in the forms of personnel, including himself, Australian citizen Jake Bellardi and others, as well as services, weapons, property, equipment, and false documentation and identification. Check that out. False documentation and identification. In fact, a number of years ago, I wrote an article, and I, and I, I entitled it, Immigration Fraud, the Lies That Kill. I wrote it for an organization back then known as The Social Contract. It was a major article. You can still find it online. Please check it out. Okay? According to court documents, Mirsad Kandik, that's this piece of work's name, 41 of Brooklyn and of Kosovo, 
was convicted by a federal grand jury May 2022 following a three-week trial in Brooklyn, serving ISIS's deadly terror campaign. This defendant fought on the battlefield, spread propaganda, smuggled weapons, and radicalized Western recruits here in the United States, and we admitted him into the United States, folks. This was said by Attorney General Matthew Olson of the Justice Department's National Security Division. Quote, the National Security Division was created to counter foreign terrorist organizations like ISIS, and with our partners, we remain committed to identifying and holding accountable those who provide support to such terrorist groups. Kandik was a high-ranking member of ISIS who relished the death and destruction he wrought while providing every conceivable form of material support to a terrorist organization, including the recruitment of countless others to ISIS's bloody campaigns in Syria and elsewhere, said U.S. Attorney Breon Peace for the Eastern District of New York. Quote, today's sentence holds the defendant accountable for his conduct and ensures that he will never again pose a threat to the United States or any of our allies. And they also said that the defendant in this case provided numerous forms of material support to ISIS for years and today was brought to justice. He was here recruiting people in the United States to go fight overseas. And at some point, God only knows, perhaps he would have convinced them to blow stuff up here in the United States. And how did he get in? He didn't run the southern border. We admitted him as a a lawful immigrant. When was the last time you heard anybody seeking the presidency talk about anything except the southern border? In fact, you have people still saying that we need comprehensive immigration reform. What would that mean? Giving green cards and lawful status to millions of people who snuck into the country without the ability to interview them, let alone do a field investigation, without being able to verify their true identities. And this guy was involved with procuring fake ID. Why? To facilitate international travel and the skullduggery of terrorism. Fugitives operate the same way. Spies operate the same way. Transnational gangs operate that way. And the cartels operate that way. And what are we doing to counter them? Nothing. Nothing. No ads warning about drugs, nothing to stop the drug cartels from running rampant through through the United States. We have sanctuary cities providing illegal aliens, including criminals and terrorists with driver's licenses. The 19 hijackers who attacked us on 9-11 in the aggregate had over 360 false identities. 360 false identities. And you have states giving driver's licenses to these people. In New York State, under Cuomo, and I believe the policy still stands, will not share motor vehicle information with ICE. God forbid, they might identify terrorists or criminals. But if you're a law-abiding American, you may have a problem trying to get a legal firearm. What are we doing? It's up to us, we the people, to hold these politicians accountable. This isn't conjecture. This is rock-solid evidence. In fact, last week I even mentioned how the Border Patrol burned a guy loose who was on the terror watch list. Where is he now? God only knows. What are we doing? What are we doing? The threat of terrorism is very real. The threat of um, sabotage, whether it's by Russia, by Iran, by China, very real. And we have no clue who's here. We've educated our adversaries. And the kicker is that two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the Trade Center back in 93, Diane Feinstein over at the Senate Judiciary Committee said we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Of course, now, like the diaspora, they've moved to countries all over the world, including visa waiver countries. She said we shouldn't be giving these people training in science, specifically biology, physics, and chemistry, because we're teaching our enemies how to make weapons of mass destruction. What are we doing now? We have educated our adversaries. We have strengthened them and put them in a strong position to do irreparable damage to America. This isn't xenophobia, folks. This is common sense. We have to have the courage to stand up to the politicians and make it abundantly clear to them. That immigration system is supposed to protect us. It is not. It is not. And the time is ticking, and time is not on our side. Please have these conversations with your neighbors. It is so important to them to understand the magnitude of the threats that we face and the politicians who refuse to do anything meaningful other than give great speeches to look to have people fill their campaign coffers. You know, I always make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. The point is that at the end of the day, it is up to us, we the people, to hold our government accountable because, after all, they are our employees. 
Let's sit down as Americans, united as Americans. Ignore the minor stuff that we disagree on and focus on our survival, the survival of our country, and the survival of our children. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.